0: Zumo Play. America's two great pastimes collide on this podcast. It is baseball and making money from the dog days of summer through the October classic. Greg faces Peterson's going to be free swinging at the betting board as he tries to hit a grand slam for your bankroll. Now here is GP. GP.
1: Tuesday to all of you. Welcome into the to Tequila Studios for MLB overtime betting. We've got a great show lined up for you as our guy Jared Wallace over at Sporting News is going to be joining us in the second segment. He's based out in Chicago, so we're going to talk about the weird splits that the Cubs have home to road. going to talk a little bit about the White Sox, the NL Central race, the AL Central race, and a team or two that he thinks is going under the radar, so that'll be fun. In the final segment, I give you a side in total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board in something I call touch them all. As always, in the first segment, I'd like to answer your Twitter questions. If you ever have something that you'd like me to answer in regards to betting philosophy, baseball betting, anything like that, always feel free to tweet it in at GNRS41 as per usual tweeted into the timeline please do not send it via dm my dm is a sacred place it has a lock and key on it and it will not be replaced unless if it finds its true love which that is not going to happen because it's a twitter dm box so let's read off the questions that you guys gave me before i go any further down this rabbit hole
0: so you have questions and greg may or may not have any insight into them but let's dive into the twitter mailbag
1: One of my buddies out there, Matt Pullen, at WV was noticing that there was a little bit of a risk-free bet offer and everything like that, and he was asking for advice on these types of promos, and I always say, try to make sure that there isn't a rollover, or if it is, it's very reasonable, and then the question becomes from there, what is a rollover? And with rollovers, and you'll find this with so many books that they offer deposit bonuses, general bonuses, everything like that, you must bet a certain amount of that deposit over and over in order to claim it. Like, let's just use layman's terms here. You have a three-time rollover in order to cash in on doubling your first deposit. Let's say that first deposit is $200. You have to essentially bet $600 in order to unlock that deposit. And in a lot of cases, there are many of these books that they will make you bet that certain amount before you can even cash out. So you always wanna be aware of these, you always want to read the fine print before you lock yourself into one of these bonuses in which you have a big giant rollover because it can really lock up your money and if you're a guy that you don't really bet a whole lot, you're just looking to maybe place a couple bets here and there, it can really cause for a big downer. So. Hopefully this helps. I think that this actually might be one of the most useful questions I ever answered because I can't remember ever being asked this. So with so many sports books popping up offshore, so many sports books popping up in other states and offering these offers Always read the fine print. We also had a question from Joe. He is on Twitter. At JCanadeo. I hope I said that correctly. That is J-K-A-N-A-D-E-O. At gnanrscord forty one. I have Mike Trout and Cody Bellinger for most home runs. If they tie for most, what do I do with both? This is one that I tweeted out and I got confirmation from at JJSS64 on Twitter. This is where dead heat rules apply. Let's say that two players wind up winning the battle for most home runs and let's say with your ticket you had four to one on both of them for a hundred dollars essentially that is divided by two say that both of these guys win both of these guys would be giving you essentially two to one on your money now so you get back your original hundred you get 200 on top of that instead of the 400 so you're still making out like a bandit let's say that one of these win one of these lose but you still have three players that wind up winning the home run crown let's say that mike trout Ties with Pete Alonzo and Christian Yelich. Since you've got Mike Trout and Cody Bellinger, obviously Cody Bellinger loses, that's self-explanatory. But let's say with Mike Trout, you had three to one on this one. What this would essentially happen because you've got three players that all tied, you get your original $100 back on a $100 bet. And then since you got three to one, you divide that by three, you're going to be getting back an extra $100. So essentially you get what was essentially a one-to-one even money straight bet. Hopefully that clears things up. This is what's called sudden heat rules. This is what's called Dead Heat Rules. You can search that on Twitter. And I actually love these questions because these are questions that can be asked in so many different sports and everything like that. So hopefully you guys found those answers useful. Hopefully you guys learned a little bit of something. And I want you guys to keep tweeting them in. At GNR41, always happy to answer those. And always happy to look back at yesterday's results and try to become a better handicapper from it as we try to find some trends from yesterday's games.
0: So what teams and players is Greg looking to back? He will lay it on you in the call-up.
1: Yeah. The Atlanta Braves and Colorado Rockies were making up a rained out game and it was the Atlanta Braves mustering one run in Coors Field as the Colorado Rockies used a two-run Ryan McMahon walk-off homer to get a 3-1 win. This game was 0-0 going into the bottom of the 8th inning. The Colorado Rockies were able to get a run and then the Atlanta Braves countered with a sack fly and then Ryan McMahon his 18th of the campaign off of Jerry Blevins to be able to win it as for Julio Tehran, another great start and he continues to get a lot of no decisions. Six innings pitch, gives up zero earned runs. This man has allowed more than three earned runs and three starts since the beginning of May. He's been great. And the Atlanta Braves bullpen has been looking a little bit better, but it was shaky on this outing. Two and a third innings for them. They give up three runs, all of which were earned and for the Atlanta Braves. Just nothing doing with Ben in scoring position. They left the bases loaded at least once. Might have been twice. One of 12 with Ben in scoring position. And for the Colorado Rockies, this is a team with the worst bullpen ERA in the big leagues ever since the All-Star break. And they've also had the worst ERA at home this year. They got a tremendous performance out of Tim Melville, a guy that was not very good at A either. Five innings, he doesn't give up a single run. From there, the bullpen goes four innings, giving up one run. And this is an interesting fact. With Coors Field, in the last 13 games that have been played there, one game has won over. You've had two pushes, 10 unders, and historically since 2016, you've had 38 unders hit to only 18 overs. So, some very interesting stats with regards to Coors Field unders in the month of August. The St. Louis Cardinals just absolutely took to the Milwaukee Brewers to do the final in this one. For the Brewers, Gio Gonzalez just had a second inning to forget. With two men out and one man on and having not allowed any runs in the inning, he winds up giving up a six spot. As for Gio Gonzalez, for some reason, he went five innings in this one he wound up giving up nine runs, seven of which were earned. I guess the Brewers were really desperate for length. And then the bullpen from there winds up going a combined four innings. They give up three runs. Was not a good day for the Milwaukee Brewers. They wind up leaving nine men on base. And for the St. Louis Cardinals, it's not like they were even doing it with a whole lot of power. Yadier Molina gets his fifth home run a year. Paul DeYoung is 24th. But for Adam Wainwright, he didn't necessarily have a great start. But he gave up fewer than three earned runs for, I believe, just a second time since the beginning of the month of June on the road as he went three and two-thirds innings while giving up two runs, and the St. Louis Cardinals bullpen continues to be magnificent. Five and a third innings, they don't give up a single run. They've got a top-five bullpen ERA out there in the big leagues, and it showed in this one. And for the St. Louis Cardinals, this is a team that is really heating up. How about a 14-3 and three Heater over the course of their last 17 games, and I believe that they've won 7 out of their last 8. This is a team that's really rolling. The Pittsburgh Pirates entered into Philadelphia on Monday with a 3-game win streak. That was snapped as the Phillies were able to get a 6-5 to win in the 11th inning. The Pirates were able to extend this game. If you had the under like I did, Josh Bell is a man that you don't like very much. He was not supposed to play in this game. He comes in for a pitch inning appearance in the ninth inning and he gets his 33rd home run of the year to extend the game. And for the Pittsburgh Pirates, Joe Musgrove actually a pretty good start in this one. Six innings pitch, gives up two runs. This guy is just... About as hard to predict as the weather without using an app. Meanwhile, for the Pittsburgh Pirates, the bullpen continues to be awful. They give up four runs and four innings. For the Philadelphia Phillies, they wind up getting a good start out of Jason Vargas. That is until the seventh inning when he gave up three runs. He was solid through six, just couldn't get a single out in the seventh. He winds up going six innings, giving up four runs, all of which were on first six innings. Before that seventh, he had given up just one run. And then the Philadelphia Phillies, who have... Ben won the better bullpens out there in the big league since the All-Star break, I believe in the top 10 with regards to ERA. They go five innings, giving up that lone home run to Josh Bell in the process for the Phillies. They were playing a lot of long ball themselves. It was Sergio Rodriguez that walked things off in the 11th inning, his fourth home run of the year. Bryce Harper is 28th of the campaign. Good to have him back after he had a baby a couple days ago, so cheers to him. Corey Dickerson gets a home run off of his old team for his eighth, and then you even have Brad Miller going deep for his fourth of the campaign. So the Philadelphia Phillies seem to be kicking things up, and the Pirates playing a lot of overs right now. The Cincinnati Reds entered into Monday, the top underteam out there in baseball, but they wind up playing an over as they get a 6-3 win over the Miami Marlins. They were able to do so behind Three home runs from three different players. Freddie Galvez and Philip Irvin go deep for their fourth with the team. But for Freddie Galvez, I believe this is either his 22nd or 23rd of the year as he was with the Toronto Blue Jays earlier. But he's made an impact. And Eugenio Suarez also went deep. His 36th of the campaign. Sonny Gray entered into this start having given up just one run in the entire month of August. Well, he tripled that. He wound up giving up six innings, giving up two runs, both of which were in. He's now giving up three runs over the course of 30 innings in the month of August. Boo-hoo. And then for the Cincinnati Reds, they've had a bottom six bullpen in the big leagues ever since the All-Star break in regards to ERA, but they give up just one run in three innings, so they were solid there. And Meanwhile, for the Miami Marlins, Pablo Lopez was making his first start ever since June 15th and got a bit roughed up in this one. He gives up four runs. In five innings, and then from there, you had the bullpen go four innings and giving up two runs. And the Miami Marlins have played over 62% of their home games to the over. That's the second best over ballpark out there in the big leagues, aside from Pittsburgh, and they were able to get a pair of home runs themselves. Jorge Alfaro is 13th of the year, and Neil Walker is 6th. The Oakland A's are playing a lot of overs right now, and Homer Bailey was able to really beat up on his old team. 19-4, the Oakland A's get the win. The Kansas City Royals prior to Sunday, had played 15 out of their last 18 games of the under. They've now played two straight overs, And in the process, they gave up 8-plus runs in each of them. As for the Oakland A's, it was his home run derby out there. Jerickson Profar is 16th of the year. Chris Davis, who has been woeful this year, is 19th. Marcus Simeon is 23rd. Matt Chapman is 30th. That was absolutely insane. And for Homer Bailey, not a great, but not an awful start. He's been pretty reliable for the A's, as in 8 starts, he's given up 3 earned runs or fewer in 6 of them. In this one, he goes 6 innings, giving up 3 runs. Bullpen from there, gives up 1 run in 3 innings for Brad Keller. He's been pretty solid all year long, but he only provided four outs in this start, giving up five runs, all of which were earned. And then how about the bullpen as Alex Gordon and Humberto Ortega, two position players, pitched three innings. That is atrocious. The Kansas City Royals should feel completely ashamed of themselves for putting up that woeful of an effort to have position players pitch Three innings, just absolutely unforgivable, but I will get back into the breakdown of this game as the bullpen winds up giving up a grand total of 14 earned runs in seven and two-thirds innings. Just not a good showing, but for the Kansas City Royals, Brett Phillips gets his first home run of the year, so I guess that there was a little bit of a positive there. There's been not a lot of positive things going on lately for the Seattle Mariners, and they came close, but no cigarro against the New York Yankees as 5-4 to four was final. And this one is the Yankees' win. The Yankees have now played three straight unders on the road. This is a team that for the year has been playing just under 70% of their road games to the over. So... They have certainly been slowing down a little bit, but they're still cranking out the power as they were able to get two home runs off the bat of Mike Ford, his seventh and eighth of the campaign, and Glaber Torres, his 33rd, as J.A. Happ, well, he gave up a long ball himself, five innings pitch, he gave up three runs, all of which were earned, but got the win as the bullpen really helped him out. Four innings from the bullpen, they give up one run. As for the Seattle Mariners, they got their home runs off the bat of Dylan Moore and Malik Smith. For Smith, his sixth of the campaign, and Dylan Moore, his seventh, as Matt Whistler, a quality open, and then Tommy Malone, Gives up five runs in five innings. Tommy Malone, after a very good start to the year, has become one of the biggest fades in baseball. I was stupid enough to put in a wager on him as in six out of his last ten appearances, he has given up four earned runs or more. And the bullpen from there was solved for the Seattle Mariners. The Dodgers have such weird splits home to road as they wind up losing to the San Diego Padres by account of 4-3 4-3 for the Dodgers. They have won 51 games at home so far this year. Just 35 on the road. It's really interesting as the Dodgers got their runs essentially off the deep ball in this one. Justin Turner down for what? Got his 24th home run of the year. And Kike Hernandez is 17th as for the Padres. Eric Lauer wound up getting the win in this one, giving up both those home runs. He went six innings, giving up three runs. at the bullpen of the Padres, which I've been saying for a while, is doing for some good regression as their ERA is worse than their fielding independent. They go a combined combine three innings, giving up one in the process. And Kirby Yates, his league-leading 38th save as for the Padres, they didn't get a single home run in this one. They actually only got four hits in this win, but they went three of five with men in scoring position. And for the Dodgers, it was a little bit of a tough luck loss for Derek Mayes. He gave up those four hits in four and a third innings. And of the four runs that he gave up, only two of which were earned. And then the bullpen from there winds up going two and two thirds innings, not allowing a single run. So a little bit of bad luck there for Derek May, to say the least. The San Francisco Giants gave you a little bit of luck if you had the over as the Arizona Diamondbacks get a six to four win on the road. The Arizona Diamondbacks above 500 on the road, below 500 at home. Meanwhile, the San Francisco Giants. They are below 500 at home, above 500 on the road. You've got some weird splits out there in the NL West. But what's not weird is the fact that Adam Jones was able to get his 15th home run of the year. That came off of Sean Anderson. As for the San Francisco Giants, Tyler Beattie winds up giving up three runs for a seventh straight start. But in this one, it actually wasn't his fault. Five and two-thirds innings. Of those three runs that he gave up, only one of which were earned. Evan Longoria had a big error out there in the field. And then from there, the Giants bullpen, which I keep saying is coming back to earth because of all the pieces that they sold off at the trade deadline. they go. a combined three and a third innings giving up three runs, all of which were earned. And then for the Arizona Diamondbacks, Alex Young, a terrific start in this one. Five and a third innings gives up two runs, only one of which were earned. From there, the bullpen winds up giving up two runs, but they were both unearned runs as the Giants we're able to play two runs in the ninth inning, but those were all courtesy of Ayers as the Arizona Diamondbacks, who have been one of the best fielding teams out there in the big leagues, they committed three on this night. So thank the Arizona defense if you add the under in that one. Thank the Arizona Diamondbacks defense if you add the over in that one. And let's go over what we all learned from Major League Baseball on Monday. Pierce is as Alex Young is giving good starts for the Arizona Diamondbacks at so both the Diamondbacks and the Giants. A little bit more comfortable on the road than they are at home. Seattle is getting absolutely nothing out of Tommy Malone right now. Meanwhile, the Yankees are starting to play some unders on the road. It looks like the LA Dodgers are not quite the same team on the road as they are at home. Homer Bailey is pitching well for the Oakland A's and the Kansas City Royals. Well, things are not going their way right now. The Cincinnati Reds continue to get quality starts from Sonny Gray, and the Miami Marlins continue to play over at home. The Atlanta Braves wound up stranding a bunch of men on base, but perhaps this Tim Melville guy for the Colorado Rockies is not so bad. The Milwaukee Brewers are getting some bad pitching right now, but the St. Louis Cardinals, they are absolutely rolling. For the Pittsburgh Pirates, things are not going their way as they still have the worst record ever since the All-Star breakout in the big leagues with just 10 wins. And for the Philadelphia Phillies, seems like the offense might be starting to come alive. So that is what we all learned from Major League Baseball on Monday. Now let's take a look at some of these games for Tuesday. Let's talk about some of these pennant races and let's get a little bit of a Chicago perspective on things as Jared Willis of Sporting News and Chicago Mag going to be joining me next right here on MLB Overtime Betting.
0: Greg is going to the bullpen as he makes a call to the Azunia hotline.
1: And we're back here on MLB Overtime Betting. Greg Peterson coming at you from the Azunia Tequila Studios. It is that time that we bring on our guests, and we've got a good one today. As this man does terrific work for the Sporting News and the Chicago Mag. You can follow him on Twitter, at Jay Willis. And I'm going to spell this out for you because this Willis is not spelled the way that you normally expect it. it is. J-W-Y-L-L-Y-S, as it is, Jared Willis, with the bunch of Y's joining me. He does terrific work out there. For Sporting News, he's been doing a great job of tracking things like Juan Soto, being one of the best young hitters out there in baseball. He's also just doing a great job of being able to track the Chicago Cubs as well. And, Jared, how are you doing today?
2: I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on today.
1: Oh, thank you for joining me. And I did note a little bit earlier about the Chicago Cubs. This is a team that... At home, they have been absolutely terrific this year. I know that they wound up losing three straight games to Washington Nationals in that series. But on the road, this has been a totally different animal. And on Tuesday, they're going to have a road game with you, Darvish, going up against Marcus Stroman. Why do you think it is that the Cubs have been such a different team home to road? Because their splits are very extreme.
2: Yeah, it's definitely one of the more extreme home road splits that I think I've ever seen. You know, because we all kind of know that teams do better at home, and then when they go out on the road, they sort of set up a goal of you know let's try to go 500 or so. But the Cubs, it's been they're the Dodgers at home, and they're the Marlins on the road. And I think to some extent, part of it has to do with the fact that they started the season with nine games on the road, and it went terribly. It was they were two and seven. They lost in epic fashion a, a couple of those games. So they started the season off on that note, and to some degree, I think that, that gets into, that gets into their heads. Now they're, they're good about, you know, when you ask them about that, which I have and I've been there with other reporters have asked about it, they will never come out and say that. But there is something to the fact that they started off struggling mightily on the road and it's never really gone any differently. I think they've won a total of one road series all season. And that was all the way back in May. And so I think it may be as simple as something that kind of got in their heads. Um, as a subliminal problem, and they've just never really been a- able to shake it. And I, there's a possibility that it did win the road series against Pittsburgh, although, you know, some people debate whether that should count because that final game was played at, at the little league stadium there in Williamsport. But either way, I think when they go into New York for this quick road trip of, of three games, cause then they turn around and they come back home for the weekend. But this is a tough series against the, like the red hot New York Mets and they're facing their three best pitchers. Again, I think it all boils down to they started off really badly, and they've just never really been able to, to fix it.
1: Yeah, it's a very interesting situation as we do have joining me on the podcast, Jared Willis of Sporting News. And I think that is so fascinating because the White Sox, they don't have this extreme of a split, but in the same city that you're in, they've got a little bit of a better team home to road as well. And they've got an interesting game on Tuesday as well. The Minnesota Twins are going to be in town. Lucas G. Lito going to be going for the White Sox. Last time he faced off against the Twins about a week and a half ago, he had that complete game shutout. And then the start before that, which was actually at home, he had probably his worst start of the year, giving up seven runs in that start. What do you expect out of this game? Because right now I'm noticing the White Sox as an underdog. That's what happens whenever you get the White Sox against the Minnesota Twins. But I love the way that Lucas Giolito's been pitching this year and he goes up against a guy, Michael Pineda, that ever since coming off the injured list, he's been pretty darn good himself.
2: Yeah, this will be a, a really interesting matchup because Giolito, with the, ex- you know, exception of maybe a couple of bumpy starts, He's been legitimately an American League Cy Young candidate this year, the way he's pitched. I, you know, I don't think he's good enough to bump Justin Verlander from that spot. But the thing for the Twins is, this is a team that's in a division race that has gotten a lot tighter than it was earlier in the season. Now Cleveland's got, you know, their own issues. Or there's some questions about how they can bounce back from losing Jose Ramirez. But you no, know, this is this is still a tough matchup for the White Sox. But I think what, you're at home. You have your best pitcher, arguably the best pitcher in the American League, um, going up against really anybody. The way he's been pitching lately, I think he's perfectly capable of shutting them down.
1: I think that they certainly do have that capability as well. As the Minnesota Twins have been very good out there in the AL Central, but the Cleveland Indians, ever since the beginning of the month of June, they have been white out themselves. They're coming off a loss against the. Kansas City Royals, but on Tuesday, it's going to be them getting the chance to go up against the Detroit Tigers that, well, things have not been going so well for them. Spencer Turnbull has actually been a decent pitcher this year. ERA south of four, he's given up less than a home run per nine innings. But with that said, the Detroit Tigers offense certainly leaves something to be desired. Cleveland Indians in this one, as I'm seeing it, a minus 140 favorite. What do you expect from not just the Cleveland Indians in this game, but from the race in general out there in the AL East, because I do think that with the Indians being able to make those moves at the deadline and the Minnesota Twins bullpen being very shaky, I actually think that the Indians still have a chance to be able to pull out this division.
2: I think you're absolutely right. This division is not decided by any stretch. Minnesota's got a few games of a lead over Cleveland right now, but I think that going into a series against Detroit, like Detroit's just lifeless right now. This is easily one of the worst teams in baseball. And then they traded Castellanos almost a month ago at the deadline. You know, he was the last spark of anything good that that team had other than, you know, a couple of their pitchers like Boyd and Turnbull. But like, this is where Cleveland needs needs to make haste, so to speak. Because when you've got games against teams like Detroit or Kansas City, you've got to win those because this race against Minnesota is probably going to come right down to the wire. I mean, we've got about a month of the season left. And I I think it's going to take that whole time before we really see which of those two teams is going to come out on top. Should be
1: a really good race. And then another race that should be very good as Jared Willis is joining me right here on the podcast is out there in the NL Central. We were talking about the Chicago Cubs a little bit earlier. They are very much alive in the NL Central as well as the wild card. The Milwaukee Brewers have been up and down. They had a good series against the Diamondbacks before losing on Sunday and the Milwaukee Brewers Currently locked up in a very good series themselves as on Tuesday, it's going to be Miles Michaelis against Adrian. Alzer. I think that this series is very key in deciding this division because let's face it, with the Milwaukee Brewers, they're not getting great pitching right now. With the Cardinals, it's the exact opposite. Pitching is there. The batting has been very hit or miss.
2: Yeah, definitely. And I think the thing to remember with Milwaukee is that though they won the division last year and really they were within a game of going to the World Series, None of that really started until around Labor Day. That's when they got red hot. And in September of 2018, they went 19-7, and I think it was. And they lost for the last time on September 22nd. So the whole final eight days of the season, they didn't lose a single game. And so not that you can say, well, okay, Milwaukee's going to do that again. But they've shown that if you're within a few games and you turn it on like that in the last month, you can make a huge difference in those division standings. Because go back and look on September 1st, where Milwaukee was in the NL Central, they were four or five games back. And so it looked like the Cubs division to win at that point. And then they, of course, completely turned that around. And so, like you said, when you have division games like this series they have coming up against St. Louis, here's a chance for them to jump ahead of Chicago and move into that second-place spot and and just work their way up the division in a hurry because St. Louis has been hot lately, but those three teams are are very close in terms of talent and performance. So, again, like the AL Central, between those three teams, when you look at like the last week or so of those games in that division, it's probably going to take right up until that point as well. But, yeah, this is, I think, of all of the series going on In baseball this week, I think this Milwaukee-St. Louis is probably the most intriguing one.
1: I think so, as well as this has been just a really wild race in general. And even the Cincinnati Reds have been a little bit of an interesting team. I certainly don't think that they're going to be able to make the playoffs, but they're currently facing off against Miami Marlins with Luis Castillo going on the bump for the Cincinnati Reds. I've noticed this with the Reds. Their bullpen pitching at the beginning of the year was absolutely tremendous. The past two months, it's been really bad. Ever since the All-Star break, they're in the bottom seven of the big leagues with regards to bullpen ERA. Do you have any explanation as to why this is? Because guys like Sonny Gray have been good. I know that Luis Castillo has been banged around a couple times in his last few starts, but all in all, he's been doing a solid job. But with this Reds team, they just seem to be getting a little bit more offense, but they're not getting as much out of the bullpen now.
2: Honestly, the Reds are a team that has puzzled me all season long because by any measurement, you look at that roster, you look at the collection of guys that they have, and that's a team that should be in discussion with Milwaukee and St. Louis and Chicago for that division title. But it's like when one thing starts working, then something else goes wrong. They've just not been able to find that stretch where it all comes together at the same time at the beginning of the season, their offense wasn't there. Votto wasn't hitting, Suarez wasn't hitting, and they were pitching well, but because they weren't scoring runs, they're not winning. Then the offense comes together, and they're finally starting to score, and then their pitching falls out from underneath them. So it's a head-scratcher for sure. They're one of the most talented teams with a bad record in baseball, and maybe if in this last month everything comes together at about the same time, they can make things interesting. It might be too late for them to make a legitimate run at the playoffs, but, you know, if not that we want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but you want to look at a team as a dark horse favorite in 2020, I would say keep an eye on Cincinnati. Yep,
1: but We are going to be on to Cincinnati in 2020, to say the least, to make a bad pun, as Jared Will is joining me right here on the podcast. There's tremendous work with the Chicago Meg and Sporting News and is joining me right now. And I mentioned a little bit earlier, I know that Sporting News has been very closely following the Washington Nationals and how good Juan Soto has been. And the Washington Nationals are going to be looked, are going to be hooked up in an interleague series with the Baltimore Orioles. Obviously, with Patrick Corbin going on the mound on Tuesday, they are a sizable favorite against Aaron Brooks, who was not a very good quarterback with the New Orleans Saints, and now is trying to play some baseball, but that is my joke as well. But what do you think of the Washington Nationals? This is a team that's won 12 out of its last 14 games. They were very hot from, I would say, late May until pretty much the entire month of June, cooled down a little bit in July, and once again, they're getting on a very nice run. And I feel like if there's one team that could stop the L.A. Dodgers out there in a series in order to get to the World Series, I think that the Nationals have the best shot, especially if Max is healthy.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, look at what they just did this past weekend. You know, the Cubs, who have been so, so hard to beat at Wrigley Field, they went in there and swept them. The Cubs have not been swept at Wrigley Field all season until just this past weekend. And they were fresh off of sweeping the Giants. The Cubs were. So they came in against a Cubs team that had won five games in a row, I believe, and then took them Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And I think what's so good about the Nationals is that's a lineup that's very balanced. And that's a lineup that puts together a lot of really high quality at bats because you look at the way they scored runs against the Cubs. They weren't hitting a bunch of long balls. It was a lot of, you know, a a walk followed by a couple of base hits, you know, stringing hits together, really kind of what's become old school baseball, where your lineup top to bottom is just stringing hits together. And that's where I think they can match up against just about anybody because they score runs in a different way. While at the same time, they've got really quality pitching. I mean, Steven Strasburg against the Cubs on Sunday, he really, they couldn't muster much of anything against him. And then if Scherzer's healthy, Anibal Sanchez has been pitching well. So I agree. I think they're an interesting team in the National League. I still think the Dodgers are the class of the NL. But I think if a team's going to come up and surprise them in the postseason, Washington's the one to keep an eye Seems on. Seems
1: like we're in lockstep on that one. And do you think that the AL race at this point is pretty much the Astros to lose? Because we're noticing that in Vegas, all the future's odds have the Houston Astros right around 2-1 to one to win the World Series, and many think that they're certainly going to be representing the American League in the World Series. I do like what the New York Yankees brought out there, and Domingo Herman is a good starter, but Masi or Tanaka, James Pax, and all these guys have been a little bit shaky themselves. But is there a team maybe on the outside looking in that you think from the American League could be a little bit of a mover and shaker?
2: It's tough because Houston so clearly has the best rotation if you look at the way that teams set up for their postseason rotations i don't know that you can pick anybody as being better than what houston has i've been impressed all season long by how new york has continued to win games despite the fact that it seems like half their roster is injured at one point or another i mean they haven't had john carlos stanton all season for goodness sake but you know they're well well above 500 all season long the oakland as they've been very hot lately but the problem with teams like that is they depend so much on getting the best perform, best possible performance out of their guys all the time. You know, when you get somebody like Tanner Roark in their rotation or Homer Bailey, they're capable of pitching really well, but the floor for their performance is a lot lower than somebody like Justin Verlander or Zach Greinke. So that's what I think it makes the difference and puts them at a bit of a disadvantage. Oakland could make things interesting. You know, Minnesota could make things interesting. Even the Rays but I genuinely expect, believe that the ALCS, provided that these teams don't get matched up against each other in the division series, it's going to come down to Houston and New York. And pitching-wise, I don't see anybody getting past the Astros.
1: I wish I could disagree with you but I really cannot, as we do have Jared Wilson of Sporting News joining me right here on the podcast. And is there any specific players or maybe even a team that you feel like is flying under the radar right now? They could be playoff contenders, they could just be A team from off the beaten path on maybe a little bit of a lesser team that has really been performing well, but things just are not there for them media-wise because I've been looking at Mike Fires of the Oakland A's. He's been having a tremendous year thus far after a brutal April. I feel like he's not getting a whole lot of respect. I like Luis Reyes of the Minnesota Twins. He's done a tremendous job of getting on base for them. He gets lost in all the mashers that they have on that lineup too. Is there a guy or two that really stands out to you?
2: As far as individual players, you've mentioned a couple of them. Some of those guys in Oakland, I don't think that most of the country realizes just how good Matt Chapman is. You know, if you're a baseball nut, you know, but I think outside of like the diehard baseball fans, I don't think people realize how talented of a player he is. And I think the team in general that just to me doesn't get mentioned as much as they should is Atlanta. You know, while we were talking about how hot the Washington Nationals have been, They're still six games behind the Braves. The Braves have won their last eight games in a row. They're sitting at 80-52. and That's not too far behind the Yankees and the Dodgers and a better record than the Twins. So the Atlanta Braves are, I think, very quietly have just been putting together this stellar season. And for whatever reason, we're just not noticing so far because they've got a very potent offense. You know, Ozzie Albie's, Ronald Acuna, Freddie Freeman— Even Josh Donaldson, there's some of that veteran presence that you need on a postseason team. So that's the team that somehow, despite leading their division, that to me feels like it's kind of flown under the radar just how good they are.
1: I have to agree with you there. And, Jared, I would like to close it out with this. You do a tremendous job of being able to cover the game for both Chicago Mag and Sporting News. I know that you're out there on Twitter at Jay Willis. Let the good people know where they can find a little bit more of you, where they can catch all of your great work, and just what they can expect from Jared in general.
2: Yeah, I mean, definitely come uh, check me out on Twitter at Jay Willis because I always make it a point to Share the stuff that I'm working on there. Most of my work shows up on Sporting News, Chicago Magazine, a little bit, along with some stuff on Forbes Sports. Just wrote about the Cubs and Nick Castellanos and them needing to sign him to something long-term. You know, don't let him just be a rental. And I'm also on Facebook. got a, a Facebook page for my work as well. So if you just search Jared Willis, you'll find that there. And then I've just started writing a newsletter as well, and that's linked in my pinned tweet on my Twitter profile. So check that out.
1: Tremendous. A big thanks to Jared Willis of Sporting News for joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting. And coming up next, it is that time of the podcast in which I give you a side and total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board. And we do so on a little something I like to call, "Touch 'Em all.
0: Hey, I'm Steve Heitner, the guy who uttered the famous phrase, that's gold. And that's the inspiration of my new podcast. That's gold with Steve Heitner. We talk sports, sports betting, movies, comedy, food, drink, Vegas, music, movies, and more. Five days a week. Did I say movies twice? Look, guys love it, whether they're hip or worried about breaking a hip. Find us on Apple and Google podcasts, as well as Spotify and Stitcher. That's gold with me, Steve Heitner. Welcome back to MLB Overtime. Greg is throwing a gem, so yeah, he
1: better not blow it. We're back here in the Zuni to Kill studios for MLB Overtime Betting. A big thanks to our man Jared Willis of Sporting News for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time that I give you a side and total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board, and we do so in a little something I like to call... Touch them all.
0: If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all.
1: Note that any changes are made to these plays, going to be listed up on my Twitter feed at GNRD1 with some of these plays. They are all locked in, good to go, bet on everything like that. With some of these plays, we are in wait and see mode. We're waiting on some lineup changes, line moves. Some of these games are off the board because. We just don't know who the starters are going to be and everything like that. So for everything that is pending, locked in, everything like that, check back on my Twitter feed at gnrscourty 41 And as we go along, I will let you know what's all locked in and what I'm all waiting on. And as per usual, going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order, and that starts with 901, 902, the Philadelphia Phillies, play the Pittsburgh Pirates. Stephen Brault goes for the Pirates. Drew Smiley for the Philadelphia Phillies. Your total on this game is 10.5. And we're seeing 10s out there as well. On the 10.5, the under is just a minus 115. The over is minus 105. On the 10s, the exact same. Under is minus 115. The over is minus 105. If you're looking at the Buccos, you're going to be getting a plus price here. That is anywhere between plus 115 and plus 123. If you want to lay it with the Phillies, it's anywhere between minus 130 and minus 133. The Pittsburgh Pirates came into... Monday with a three-game winning streak, but this is still a team that has won just 10 games since the All-Star break things have not necessarily been going well for them offensively just because they don't have the power that they did towards the beginning of the year, and a lot of that has to do with their two big power bets in Sterling Marte and Josh Bell. Josh Bell wound up getting the day off yesterday. He's got 32 home runs, over 95 RBI. He's now hitting just a 275 along with Melky Cabrera, though. Jacob Sellings is hitting a 265 along with Adam Frazier, so seeing a lot of guys dipping with their batting average. Jose Azuna and Kevin Newman are still hitting 300, though, and then you got Brian Reynolds hitting at 330. Gotta give it up to call He's sitting at 285, but all in all, this is a team that is seeing a lot of guys dip with their batting averages. And meanwhile, the Philadelphia Phillies in the bottom 10 of the big leagues with regards to runs per game ever since the All-Star break. And right now, Corey Dickerson, former Pittsburgh Pirate, actually has the best batting average on this team with right around a 300. Bryce Harper is now back in the fold. He missed a couple days due to the birth of a son, so congratulations to him. He's hitting a 255 ish on-base percentage right around a .375, which is the same for Ace Hoskins, but for Hoskins, he does have 24 home runs this year. His batting average is zipped to a .235, though. Meanwhile, Harper, 27 home runs, has done a good job of being able to drive guys in. And then you've got Scott Kingery and JT Realmuto in between a 270 and a .275. Then you've got a couple guys who are doing a nice job of getting on base in Gene Segura and Cesar Hernandez, both inning above a 280. But all in all, this is a team that hasn't necessarily been doing the greatest job of getting on base. And I will say this for Steven Broth, he actually has been giving some terrific starts. He's given up more than three earned runs in one out of his last 12 starts. He's given up less than a home run per nine innings. Walks are a little bit of an issue. He's issuing more than four walks per nine innings, but all in all, he's been pretty solid in that regard. Meanwhile, you take a look at Drew Smiley. When he was with the Texas Rangers, Things were a nightmare. He was giving up nearly three home runs per nine innings. This is a man that was giving out nearly six walks per nine. With the Philadelphia Phillies, I'm not going to call it great, but in six starts... 473 RA. That's a far cry from the ERA north of 8 that he had with Texas. His walks are much more reasonable now. He's given out a little bit over three walks per nine innings. The home run ball certainly has not been hurting him as much. And with the Philadelphia Phillies ever since the All-Star break, bullpen has been pretty good. Pittsburgh Pirates bullpen has been in the bottom 10 of the big leagues ever since the All-Star break and all season long for that matter. And I do think that this is going to be a little bit of an ugly game in that both these teams are really having a difficult time scoring and the Phillies and the Pirates are the top over Team in baseball when they're at home on the road, a little bit of a different story. I think that this is a game that the Phillies should win in low scoring fashion. So for that reason, taking this total under, and I'm going to be taking the Philadelphia Phillies. Noticing money coming in on the Philadelphia Phillies, rightfully so. So I've already locked in this play. Meanwhile, the under in Wayne C mode, we already saw one total go from a 10 to a 10 and a half. So the more that I can get, the better. 903-904 on the bank rotation. The Cincinnati Reds hit the road to face off against Miami Marlins. Caleb Smith goes for the fish. Meanwhile, Luis Castillo for the Cincinnati. Cincinnati Reds. rides. Your total on this game is 7. The over is just of anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between minus 105 and even. If you're looking at the red legs, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 145 and minus 150. Plus price on the fish is anywhere between plus 135 and plus 140. Caleb Smith got off to a really nice start this year and is still a very good swing and miss guy, but Both these pitchers, I feel like, have been doing for a little bit of regression. And keep in mind, the ballpark in Miami actually has seen over 60% of the games go over. I believe it's now the second-best ballpark with regards to overs out there in the big leagues, which you wouldn't expect because Miami Marlins are generating a little bit over .8 home runs per game, so they have not necessarily been great offensively, but it's because of Miami Marlins' bullpen and the Reds' bullpen actually entered into Monday in the bottom six in the big leagues with regards to ERA ever since the All-Star break. And you take a look at Caleb Smith. He has given up four earned runs or more in three out of his last five starts. I will say the other two starts have been pretty good as he's given up one run in those two, but it doesn't matter whether it's home and road. He just seems to be an inconsistent guy altogether. Luis Castillo certainly is better At home than on the road. At home, he's got an ERA that is over a full point lower than it is on the road. But I will say this though Castillo has not made a road start in quite a while, he's given up more than three earned runs in just one road start ever since the beginning of the month of June. So he's actually been pretty solid there. This is a guy in Luis Castillo that is getting right around 11 strikeouts per nine innings. Caleb Smith in that neighborhood as well. Both these guys give out a little bit too many walks, but Got to have a lot more confidence here in the Cincinnati Reds being able to generate runs rather than the Miami Marlins. When you take a look at the Reds, you've got Aristides Aquino and Phillip Irvin who have really come in and solidified the outfield. Both these guys hitting above a 320, and in the case of Aquino, he's been getting a whole lot of home runs ever since getting called up to the big leagues. Then you've got Josh Van Meter and Jose Iglesias hitting between a 290 and a 300. Freddie Galvis has been a nice addition. He's got over 20 home runs between his time with the Toronto Blue Jays and the Cincinnati Reds hitting a 275. Eugenio Suarez has really been the power bat of this team. He's hitting a 255. He's got 35-plus home runs. Then you got guys like Tucker Barnard and Nick Sensel, who are doing a decent job with their average. Barnard only hitting a 235, but that's at least on the climb. Nick Senzel's hitting a 260. And you get Derek Diedrich, Brad a guy that had 20 plus home runs in the first couple months of the year, but then just completely fell off the map. Meanwhile, for the Miami Marlins, we've got quite a few guys hitting between a 265 and a 280 in Garrett Cooper, Neil Walker, John Birdie, Sterling Castro, Harold Ramirez, and Jorge Alfaro. And the real power rat of this team is Brett Anderson, but he's been out of the lineup the past couple days. You want to note that he's hitting right around a 260, 20 home runs. This is a team that just Like I said before, it doesn't have a lot of power. And because Brett Anderson is out of the fold, you're seeing guys like Izan Diaz get a little bit more time. He, Lewis, Brinson, Curtis Granderson... Yadier Rivera. All these guys are aiming below the Mendoza line. It's really just not good. And I do think that this is a spot where Caleb Smith is going to lend himself to a couple of runs. I think SEO gives up one or two himself, but I think that the Reds should be able to win this game commandingly. So for that reason, we're going to be looking at the Reds on the run line and the Soto over. With the over, I'd like to see if I'm able to get minus 110 juice as the Soto actually opened up at 7.5 and, and it's been sharply falling ever since then. And with the run line, currently seeing that between plus 115 and plus 120. Trying to see if it climbs to plus 125 before I fire him, but Either way, I'm going to be riding both of these. 905-906 on the bang rotation. The Chicago Cubs hit the road to face off against the New York Mets. Marcus Roman goes for the Mets. You Darvish goes for the Cubs. Your total on this game is 8.5. The under is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 110. The over is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. If you're looking at the Mets, you're laying anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. Meanwhile, the plus price on the Cubs is anywhere between... Plus 105, and you might be as much as getting even. This is a pretty tight line here. And I know that Kenny White, who joined the podcast yesterday talking about his power rankings talked about. you Darvish actually being the most consistent Cubs player home to road, but this is a Cubs team that on the road this year, they have been absolutely wretched and they're coming off of a streak in which they lose three straight games at home. This is a team that is just not in very good form and the Cubs this year on the road. 25 and 39. Meanwhile, the Mets at home have been pretty darn spectacular. 37 and 24. They've got the highest overall win percentage ever since the All-Star break. I will say this though. Marcus Stroman, ever since coming over to the New York Mets, he's made five starts. He hasn't necessarily been that great. Four 458 ERA. He's given up right around 1.4 home runs per nine innings, and he's walking four and a half guys per nine innings. That's a little bit shocking for the New York Mets. You're still dealing with Jeff McNeil being out of the fold, but you do have a guy by the name of Pete Alonzo, and he has been pretty darn spectacular this year. How about 41 home runs, 100 RBI, and a batting average of a 265? Michael Conforto has been helping him out in the power department as well. 255 batting average, 27 home runs for him. And Jeff McNeil, it does look like, is going to be back in the fold for this game. So that's big because 333 batting average, 402 on base. He was missed when he was out of the fold. So that is something that you do want to note. And I was going to be on the Mets before then. And. That makes it all the better for me. You also do have a couple guys like Rajay Davis, Joe Panic and company. They're hitting right around 250 for this team. I will say Wilson Ramos hitting a 285. That is big because you've got guys like Todd Frazier, Juan Lagares, Luis Guillermo. They're hitting a 230 or lower. So got a couple famine bats there. But amid Rosario, even hitting a 290 is nice. And Then you take a look at the flip side for the Chicago Cubs. Though Kyle Schwarber's only hitting a 225, his 30 home runs have really been coming up clutch for the team. And the middle of the lineup for the Cubs is one of the better ones that you're gonna. Fine as you've got so much balance between Chris Bryant, Javi Baez, Anthony Rizzo, and Nick Castellanos, all these guys for the year are hitting a 280 or higher. And for Nick Castellanos, ever since he came over to the Chicago Cubs, he's been hitting a 375. He has been on a tear. With Chris Bryant, Javi Baez, and company, all these guys are hitting between 24 and 28 home runs, so they certainly have been able to generate a little bit of power. You've got David Bodie hitting right around a 260, but then you got a couple guys that need to pick it up with their batting averages. Addison Russell and Ian Happ, both hitting below a 240. Victor Carantini's hitting a 252 whenever he's behind the dish. And John Lucroy, ever since getting to Chicago, hitting a 2.75, so that's been a little bit of a booster for this team, but with the Cubs just being so wretched on the road, they actually do have some decent bullpen stats, but it seems like it's been failing them recently And for the New York Mets. They had the third worst bullpen ERA out there in the big leagues going into the All-Star break. Ever since the All-Star break, it's in the top eight. Do you think that there's going to be a little bit of regression there, but I do think that Stroman is going to be able to give a decent start. As we know, Stroman is a little bit more of a ground ball guy. The Mets don't necessarily do the best job of being able to field ground balls, so I do think that there will be some runs. That's why I'm going to be on the over, but looking at the New York Mets here as well. Noticing a little bit of money coming in on the Chicago Cubs. So right now I'm waiting to see mode on this. And I'm waiting to see if this total gets a little bit more juicy under as well as this open up at eight and a half. Now I'm seeing the juice coming down a little bit, so we can see on both of those, but we're certainly going to be on them. 907, 908 on the bank rotation. You got the Milwaukee Brewers playing mostly St. Louis Cardinals. Miles Mikolas goes for the St. Louis Cardinals. Adrian Elzer for the Milwaukee Brewers. Your total on this game is nine. The over is juice anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. The under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 105. If you're looking at the Brew Crew, going to be laying anywhere between minus 139 and minus 145. Meanwhile, if you're looking at a plus price on the St. Louis Cardinals that is anywhere between plus 120 and plus 130. And this is the spot where I've got to be taking a look at the St. Louis Cardinals. The Milwaukee Brewers are just very unreliable. They were down 2-0 to zero in the second inning yesterday with two outs and one man on and somehow some way in that inning they managed to allow six runs. This is a Milwaukee Brewers team that you just don't know what you're going to get from them game to game. I would consider them the most inconsistent, but I will say this for Adrian Hauser. He has actually looked very good in his starts in the month of August. His last three starts, he has went a combined 18 and a third innings giving up three runs, so that has been spectacular. Before then, it seemed like he was really trying to find his sea legs as starter. I will say this for Miles Mikolas. This is a gentleman that is allowing a little bit too much hard contact. 1.5 home runs per nine innings. He certainly has a little bit of a better ERA at home than he does on the road, but with this guy, he does a very good job of just being able to keep games out in front of him, though he has not done that recently. He's given up five runs in each of his last three starts, but I will say this. In regards to pitching against the Milwaukee Brewers, it seems like Michaelis has actually been doing a spectacular job throughout his career of being able to pitch against the Milwaukee Brewers. He does a good job of not giving out walks, less than two walks per nine innings. Not much of a swing and miss guy. He gets right around six and a half, seven strikeouts per nine innings. And I will say this for the St. Louis Cardinals: this is not a team that necessarily has great batting averages, though they looked like essentially the. 1930s New York Yankees yesterday, the way, way that they were able to pound the Milwaukee Birds as Tyler Edmond, has really been the best guy with regards to average on this team. He's hitting a two eighty six. I will say that whenever you have Yario Munoz out there in the fold, he's been hitting right around .275. Got a couple famine bats in Matt Carpenter and Harrison Bader, both these guys, hitting below a .220. And then from there, you've got a whole bunch of guys that are hitting between I would say a 260 and a 270. Paul Goldschmidt, Marcel Ozuna, and Yadier Molina all inning in that neighborhood. And in the case of Paul Goldschmidt, he's been doing a very good job of being able to drive them in. He had a streak in which he had seven home runs in nine games a few weeks ago. He's got 29 innings on the year. Marcel Ozuna has really been picking things up for the team as well. He's got 24 home runs on the year. And then you got Paul DeYoung and Dexter Fowler both in between a 245 and a 250. They've been doing a solid job for the team. And Colt Wong, he got the day off yesterday. He's hitting right around a 275 for the Milwaukee really the lone form of consistent offense that this team has is Christian Yowch. 330 batting average, 41 home runs, 89 RBI, top five in the league with regards to stolen bases. You do have Mike Musakis, who has went deep 31 times this year with 76 RBI, but ever since the All-Star break, he hasn't been generating a lot of power. You do have to like the fact that Ryan Braun's getting on base, 290 batting average, and Kesson Hira sitting a 306, but then got a lot of guys on this team that are hitting between a 250 and a 260 that would be Lorenzo Kane, Yasmani Grandal, and Eric Thames. You do have Corey Spangenberg getting some starts with Orlando Arcia having his struggles. Orlando Arcia, along with Manny Peanut, Travis Shaw, all guys hitting a 230 Lawrence Spangenberg. It's actually looked good in a very limited amount of at-bats, but Ben Gamble not getting a lot of them right now as he's been struggling a little bit. And this is a Brewers team in general that has been struggling. They had to use a lot of bullpen arms yesterday, and I think that that's going to play into the hands of the St. Louis Cardinals, who have a top six bullpen ERA in the big leagues for the year, and they have been Nails ever since the All Star break themselves. So, for that reason, we are going to be looking at the St. Louis Cardinals in this spot and the total under. I have already locked in the total under, meanwhile, and we ain't seen one on the St. Louis Cardinals as we've actually seen a lot of seam on the Milwaukee Brewers, and I'm not quite sure why. 909, 910 on the back rotation. It is the Arizona Diamondbacks, and they hit the road to face off against the San Francisco Giants. Mike Leake is going to be going for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Currently on the Vegas betting board, it reads to be determined for the San Francisco Giants, which is why this game is currently off the board. It does look like for the Giants, so it is going to be Jeff Samarja. And if it is Jeff Samarja that we're getting in this game, I would have to be looking at the San Francisco Giants. This is a gentleman in Samarja that ever since the beginning of the month of July has been absolutely spectacular. He's allowed more than three earned runs in just one start. As a matter of fact, he's allowed more than two earned runs in just one start. He has been absolutely magnificent now his length varies he's had some starts as few as four innings he's had some starts as long as a complete game so he really does vary there but he's done a great job of being able to cut down on the long ball this is a guy that about two months ago was giving out more than two home runs per nine innings that number is down to more like one and a half home runs per nine innings meanwhile with mike leek this is a man that is i believe second in the league with regards to home runs given up i think that only Justin verlander has given out more of them Ever since he joined the Arizona Diamondbacks, it has not been good. He's got an ERA of an an 802 whip of a 188. I always say that if your whip would be a pretty good bench press for a set of 10, that's not very good. If I could do 188 pounds for a set of 10, I'd be feeling pretty proud of myself. So that's not good. Now, I will say the walks, he's given out right around a walk and a half per nine innings. But he's given out more than one home run every three innings as well ever since he joined the Arizona Diamondbacks. Though I will say this, the Giants have some very weird splits. They're scoring right around 3.3 runs per game at home. On the road, more like 5.3. And the Giants at home are actually four games below 500. Meanwhile, on the road, four games above it. And the Giants have actually have a winning record as a underdog and as a favorite. They have a losing record. Meanwhile, with the Arizona Diamondbacks, as an underdog on the run line, 47-25. They've got a road record entering into Monday of 35 and 34 They've got a losing record. At home, so these are teams that have really weird splits. And for the Diamondbacks, they're in the bottom eight in the big leagues with regards to home runs per game at home on the road. They're in the top five. This is a little bit more of a pitcher-friendly ballpark, obviously, though. But with the Arizona Diamondbacks, you do have a couple guys that are just absolutely killing the ball, and that is all led off by Eduardo Escobar. He's got 29 home runs, 266 batting average, over 100 RBI. Catal Marte, 27 dingers. He's hitting at 321. You do have Wilmer Flores hitting above 300 as well. Then you've got a whole bevy of guys hitting between a 250 and a 260. 65. That would be Christian Walker, Gerard Dyson, Tim Locastro, Nick Amad, Carson Kelly. They're all doing their jobs. In the case of Christian Walker, he's got 23 home runs. Adam Jones is hitting in that realm as well, so got to give him a little bit of a tip of the cap. And then when you take a look at the San Francisco Giants, they're starting to get in there. Some guys are doing a good job of being able to get some hits. Adam Dickerson has been in and out of the lineup, but he's hitting above a 300. Austin Slater is hitting right around a 290. Donovan Solano, 350 batting average. He's been very, very solid at getting on base. You got Mike Kastrzemski. He had a three home run game against the Arizona Diamondbacks a few weeks ago. He's hitting a 275. And then you've got guys like Kevin Pillar, Evan Longoria, Buster Posey. They're in between a 250 and a 260. Brandon Belt and Brandon Crawford. Do you need to pick it up? Both of these gentlemen hitting below a 235. And I will say this, for the San Francisco Giants, their bullpen has been looking a little bit leaky recently. They're in the top five with regards bullpen ERA for the year. Hasn't looked so good recently with the Arizona Diamondbacks. Their bullpen is not very good. And with Mike Leak, he's just not providing any right now. And I think that Jeff Samarja is going to give a better starts. So, right now, my leans on this one are to the San Francisco Giants, either money line or run line, and if this total is north of 9, I'm going to be looking at it under. If it's below 9, probably going to be looking at it and over. As always, check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at jnrsc41 for set plays there, though. 9-11, 9-12 on the bag rotation. The San Diego Padres play OCLA Dodgers. Walker Buehler goes for the Dodgers. Gal Quantrill for the Padres. Your total on this game is 8 over and under, both at minus 110. If you're looking at the Dodgers, you're laying anywhere between minus 178 and Minus 180, plus race with the pods is anywhere between plus 160 and plus 165. Cal Quantrill has actually looked very good for the San Diego Padres. Ever since getting his second shot, I believe that he has made seven starts since really being... Reacclimated into a starter's role and in those seven bulk appearances slash starts because he made six starts, one bulk appearance against the Chicago Cubs. He has been absolutely magnificent. ERA below two. Has not allowed more than three earned runs in any of these starts. He's done a very good job of just being able to keep things out in front of him. He's not allowing the long ball anymore. He's given up for the year 1.1 home runs per nine in innings. He's given up a little bit over two walks per nine. Not necessarily a great swing and miss guy, but all in all, he's been spectacular. Meanwhile, you take a look at why. Walk- Tucker Beeler, 10-3 record, 3.16 ERA. He does a great job of being able to get strikeouts, but his issue is the fact that he's giving up a lot of runs on the road. You take a look at what he's been doing in his most recent road starts. In three out of his last four, he's given up at least four earned runs. That's been a massive issue. He's a much better pitcher in L.A. than he is on the road, and the San Diego Padres... Seem to have figured out this puzzle of the LA Dodgers. As we recall, going into the all star break, they knocked them off three straight times in LA. And this is a San Diego Padres team that they're not necessarily going to hit for great average, but they do have some power, and that is led off by Eric Cosmer. You got the day off yesterday, but he's hitting for 31 home runs right around a 230 batting average. You do have a couple guys that they do need to pick it up with their batting average. Ian Kinsler is currently on the injured list. Will Myers, Luis Areas, Austin Hedges. And Ty France, all guys are in a 226 or lower. I will say this though Greg Garcia and Francisco Mejia, along with Manny Machado, are all hitting between a 265 and a 270. In the case of Machado, he's got 27 home runs. Josh Naylor hitting right around a 240 for this team, and Manuel Margot, a 245. But then you got Eric Hosmer, great RBI guy, 285 average, 19 home runs, 84 RBI entering into Monday. And with the LA Dodgers, Very much a fearsome lineup, but you got a lot of guys that they hit lefties really well. Against righties, they haven't been quite as successful. AJ Pollock is really a lefty masher, sitting right around a 265, and then you got Corey Seager and... Chris Taylor hitting in that 265 to 270 realm as well. They've been solid bats, and then you got Will Smith, who has just been absolutely magnificent since getting called up to the big leagues. Batting average above a 300. He's getting a home run every seven and a half to eight at bats. He's been great, and I will say, Kike Hernandez since coming off the injury list, he's certainly beginning something going going on the injury list. He had a batting average right around a 230. He's really risen to that up since coming off of it. And Justin Turner down for what 290 batting average, 23 home runs. Max Muncy, 33 dingers. He's hitting just below 260, and then that man Cody Bellinger. 3.12 12 batting average, 42 home runs, 100 RBI, but with the Dodgers, even though their bullpen has been decent recently, guys like Casey Sadler and company have stepped up. You still have your trepidations with Kenley Jansen. For the Padres, it's the exact opposite. The middle relief guys like Craig Samen and company, they've been letting you down, but you still got Kirby Yates, who leads the league with regards to saves ERA below a 1-5, and I do think that the Padres are doing for some positive regression with that bullpen because their ERA is actually worse than their fielding independence, so this is one of these situations where I think the Padres are are going to be able to continue to ride the hot end of Cal Quantrill. And they're going to be able to win a little bit of a lower scoring game. So for that reason, on the Padres and the under. Currently, we ain't seen one of both of these. The total on this game just fell immediately from eight and a half to eight. I'm looking to see if there's going to be a little bit of buyback. The Dodgers open up minus 175-ish. We've seen money come in on them, so I'm continuing to wait on that. 9:13, 9:14 on the bank rotation. The Detroit Tigers playoffs the Cleveland Indians. Adam Plutko goes for the Indians. Spencer Turnbull for the Detroit Tigers. Your total on this game ranging between nine and nine and a half. On the nines, the overs juice of anywhere between minus 120 and minus 125. The unders anywhere between even and plus 105. On the nine and a half, unders minus 120. The overs even If you're looking at the Indians, you're going to be laying minus 140 to minus 145. Meanwhile, your plus price on the Detroit Tigers anywhere between plus 125 and plus 130. This is a spot where if I was getting like $2 once again on the Detroit Tigers, I would start to look at it. But Spencer Turnbull is getting zero run support whatsoever in his starts. He's getting right around 2.8 to 2.9 runs of support per game. This is a Detroit Tigers team that over the weekend against the Minnesota Twins were able to score some runs. But with that said, I still certainly have my trepidations with this offense. It's not one that you want to go all in on because you do have a couple guys that are starting to pick it up with their batting average. You've got Victor Reyes, Harold Cass. Travis Demright and Miguel Cabrera all hitting a 275 or greater for this team. And in the case of Travis Demright, he has been on a little bit of a tear. And Aero Castro hitting a 290, but you still have guys that you don't know about, like Jordan Hicks, Gordon Beckham, Grayson Reiner, Darwell Lugo, Roddy Rodriguez are all hitting below a 230. And I will say, for their young shortstop... Willie Castro, you looked very good over the weekend against the Detroit Tigers, but that is still a very small sample size. And right now, the leader in home runs for this team, Brandon Dixon, with 14 of them. Meanwhile, the Cleveland Indians, you now have a lot of power. Femi Reyes over the weekend against the Kansas City Royals in a losing effort, was able to get two home runs on the board. He now has 31 for the year. Carlos is hitting a 290. He's got 30 home runs, though Femi Reyes, only right around a... 240-ish for the year. You also have Yasiel Puig. Ever since coming over to the Indians, he's hitting nearly a 290. He's got 25-plus home runs for the campaign. Jason Kipnis and Jose Ramirez, after slow starts of the year, have really gotten it going. Both these guys hitting between a 250 and a 260. I will have to say that Mike Freeman... And Taylor Naquin have been doing a very good job as well. Both these guys hitting between a 280 and a 290. Oscar Mercado out there in the outfield hitting a little bit above a 275, and then Francisco Lindor at the leadoff spot, absolutely magnificent for this team. He's hitting nearly a 323 home runs, and then you've got a couple other guys coming off the bench. that are able to do a solid job and give professional at as well. With the Cleveland Indians, the bullpen has been looking a little bit more re- leaky recently, but they still have the top bullpen ERA out there in the big leagues, and they're able to throw at you just a whole bunch of guys. And the Detroit Tigers have actually looked decent with the bullpen. And for Spencer Turnbull, though I did note that he's not getting a whole lot of run support, he is a guy that's giving up less than a home run per nine innings. He has looked rough ever since coming off the injury list. The three and 12 record is not very appealing. And he does give out right around, I would say three and a half walks per nine innings, but does a very good job of being able to keep the game out in front of him. Meanwhile, for one, Adam Blutko, this is a guy that's giving up more than two home runs per nine innings. But over the course of, I believe his last 12 starts, he's given up more than three earned runs in just three of them. And all of them have been a very understandable case this is a guy that it seems like he really buckles down against the bad competition. The last time he really had a blow-up start was against the Detroit Tigers at home in which he gave up five runs in five and a third innings. God thinks that he's going to be able to avenge that and he's been doing just a much better job recently of not giving out walks as well. This is a guy that's giving out right around 1.6 walks per nine innings. Not much of a strikeout guy, but with the Detroit Tigers, this is not much of a hitting team either. I think the, the Cleveland Indians should be able to get this win. And right now, my big question with the Indians taking the money line or run line currently making that determination. And I'm going to be on this total under right now, just waiting to see if I'm able to get a little bit more favorable juice on an under of nine and a half, or if I'm having to take the plus 105 that I'm currently seeing with under nine. 915, 916 on the bang rotation. The Minnesota Twins at the road face off against the Chicago White Sox. Lucas Gilito goes for the White Sox. Michael Pineda goes for the Minnesota Twins. Your total on this game is nine. The under is juice of minus 115. The over is minus 105. If you're looking at the White Sox, you're going to get anywhere between plus 115 and plus 120. Meanwhile, if you're looking to lay it with the Twins, anywhere between minus 128 and minus 130. The last time the Twins saw Lucas Giolito, well, they were just completely blanked. As Lucas Giolito for the year has been absolutely spectacular. This is a guy that's giving up right around one home run per nine innings. 14-6 and six record. ERA. He had a couple rough starts out there in the middle of the month of June into early July. He wound up having a bad start against the Minnesota Twins, but all in all, this is a guy that has allowed three earned runs or fewer in all but one of his starts ever since the All-Star break, and he's backed up by a very underrated bullpen. Guys like Aaron Bummer, Alex Colomay and company have been doing their job meanwhile with the Minnesota Twins. Seems like the bullpen is getting a little bit more set, and Michael Pineda, I will say this, he has been very good since coming off the injury list. I do recognize that he gave up four runs in his last start against the Chicago White Sox, but ever since the beginning of the month of June, he's allowed more than 300 runs in just two starts. He was giving up a whole bunch of home runs go- before going on the injured list. He's done a good job of being able to cut down on that. He's only giving up two walks per nine innings, and with the Chicago White Sox, this is a team that has been one of the worst with regards to scoring runs ever since the All-Star break, but they do seem to be getting back a little bit of their power, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that they've got Yohan Moncada back in the fold. Despite missing some time this year, he's got 20-plus home runs, batting average hovering right around a 300. He has been absolutely terrific for this team and then you pair him up with Jose Abreu and that's big guys. Jose Abreu 100 RBI, 28 home runs. He's hitting nearly a 280. You've got Eloy Jimenez who's got over 20 home runs himself. Batting average isn't quite there. He's hitting right around a 240 to a 245 but he's still able to do a solid job for this team and then you've got some other guys that are stepping up with regards to their batting average as Loris Garcia and Ryan Goins are both hitting between a 275 and a 285. Also have to like the fact that Tim Anderson has returned and has done a great job of getting on base. 328 batting average there. You've even got John Jay hitting right around a 267. Yomber Sanchez at 250. Then you do need to get a little bit more of something out of guys like Ryan Cordell, Adamengo, Engel, Wellington Castillo. These guys are hitting below a 230, but all in all, this is a White Sox team that does seem to be doing a little bit of a better job of hitting. Meanwhile, with the Minnesota Twins, well, this team is right now on pace to set the record for most home runs in a season. 253 through 130 games so far this year. That is absolutely insane. Just under two per contest. And then you got Max Kepler and Nelson Cruz is back off the injury list with a combined 68 of them. That is absolutely insane. And Nelson Cruz hitting nearly a 300. You have Jorge Polanco hitting above a 290. Luis Reyes on base percentage above a .400, 335 batting average for him. And then you've got just a whole bevy of guys in between a 247 and a 257, like Miguel Sano, CJ Krohn, Jonathan Scope. The list goes on and on. JK was in that neighborhood, but now he's all of a sudden hitting at 278. He's really been firing in out. cylinders. So you've got CJ Krohn with 21 home runs the list of guys goes on and on, but this is a team that can be tamed. They are very good on the road, the Minnesota Twins are. Their record for the year is 40 and 22, but the White Sox are also much better at home than they are on the road. On the road, 11 games below 500 at home, 33 and 32, and I do think that the White Sox will be able to win a lower scoring game behind Lucas Giolito in this one, so for that reason, taking the under and taking the White Sox in Wayne C mode as I think that there's going to be some public money coming in on the Minnesota Twins that taking this total under. By the way, Lucas Giolito, if you bet $100 on every one of his starts so far this year. You're in the top 10 with him in regards to starting pitchers that have made you the most amount of money according to Odd Shark. So he certainly has been a rock. 917, 918 on the bank rotation. The Tampa Bay Rays hit the road to face off against the Houston Astros. Justin Verlander goes for the Stros. Charlie Morton for the Tampa Bay Rays. Your total on this game, ranging between 7.5 and 8. On the 7.5, so over is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. Juice on the under, anywhere between even minus 105. On the 8, the over has juice of minus 115. The under is minus 105. If you're looking at the Rays' plus price here, between plus 150 and plus 160, want to lay it with the Astros. You're going to be laying anywhere between minus 165 and minus 175. Justin Verlander has not been too profitable for you recently, as he's lost as a... Four-plus-dollar favorite in two out of his last three starts. Needless to say... That is a little bit grody, and Charlie Morton, going into late June, had not lost a decision in, I believe, 22 straight starts. He has lost five decisions over the course of his last 12, but I will say this, he is tremendous at keeping the ball in the yard. He is giving up right around .7 home runs per nine innings. Much like Justin Verlander, he's one of the top strikeout guys out there in the big leagues, just under 12 strikeouts per nine innings. I will say he has been giving up a little bit more hard contact recently. He's given up three or more runs in... Four out of his last seven starts, but he still has been absolutely magnificent and he seems to pitch well against a lot of the better teams. He had a couple of rough starts against the Yankees and the Boston Red Sox on the road in July. But all in all, he has been doing a very good job whenever he goes up against these big bomber teams. Meanwhile, with Justin Verlander, he does everything well except for the fact that a lot of the hits that he gives up goes over the fence. He's giving up nearly 1.75 home runs per nine innings. He has been doing a great job ever since the All-Star break. He's given up more than two earned runs in just one start. But that one start happened to be against the Baltimore Orioles when the team was a big favorite and... Let's face it, in a lot of his starts, he has not really faced the balance that the Tampa Bay Rays are going to be able to bring at him. The Tampa Bay Rays don't have that one guy that's going to really pop off and he's going to give you 40 home runs in a year. But you do have a gentleman in Austin Meadows that has been doing a very good job for this team. 23 home runs, 280 batting average. Tommy Pham, he's got 19 dingers of his own. He's hitting a 269. Avisio Garcia has a 275 average as well. He's been able to generate a little bit of power with 17 home runs. You then have Mark Rosario sitting at 282. Then you've got a lot of guys running are in between a... I... <laughs> 245 and a 255 in G-Man Choi. Willie Adamas and Kevin Kiermaier, who's seen his average up to a 242, but he's in the neighborhood. Eric Sogard hitting a 303 for this team as well. And then Travis Arnault also hitting a 250. He's got a little bit of power. Need to get a little bit more out of guys like Joey Wendell and Mike Zanino, but all in all, pretty solid lineup. And with the Houston Astros, this is a team that has been mashing lefties all year long. They're a little bit less successful against righties, but they still have a very formidable lineup as you've got Jose Altuve and George Springer at the top of Both these men have 20 plus home runs. They both have a batting average that is hovering in the neighborhood of a 295 to a 300. Springer got the day off on Sunday, but he should be back in full. Alex Bregman has been doing a terrific job with this team. He's got 33 home runs. He's hitting a 283. You've got Michael Brantley and Jordan Alvarez both hitting above a 320. Jordan Alvarez getting a home run every 12 or so at bats. Yuri Garell's hitting above a 300. He's got nearly 90 RBI. He has been absolutely terrific. Josh Reddick is getting on base. I mean, the really, the only thing that this team needs is a little bit of a better hitting catcher and Robinson Torinos has been picking that up as well as he very nearly went for the cycle a couple days ago so this is obviously a very good lineup but you y'all love the way that the Tampa Bay Rays have been getting so many good starts out of Charlie Morton he gives a lot of good innings and he's backed up by a good bullpen and with the Houston Astros bullpen has been a little bit shaky with Robert Zuna and company recently so I do like the plus price here that I'm getting with the Tampa Bay Rays so we're going to be taking that along with this total under. This total was actually at 8 and I saw an 8.5 at 5 dimes and I immediately took it. I laid the minus 115. I did not care. I immediately took it. and ran. I think that this is going to be a lower scoring game, but I think that the Rays are going to be able to pull it out and I'm just waiting for this price to climb. So those are my plays there. 919, 920 on the bang rotation. The Oakland A's hit the road to face off against the Kansas City Royals. Mike Montgomery goes for the Kansas City Royals. Mike Stray fires for the Oakland A's. Your total on this game is nine and a half. The under is anywhere between even and minus 120. That is a very interesting split as with the over. You got it between even and minus 120. I can't remember seeing that very often, but you know what? That's a situation that we've got here as with the Oakland A's laying anywhere between minus 164 and minus 175. Meanwhile, the plus race on the Kansas City Royals is anywhere between plus 150 and plus 155. If you can't find favorable juice on this total, you're really doing line chopping wrong, but with that said, this is a spot where I've certainly got to be looking at the Oakland A's Got to give a tip of the hat to Mike Montgomery. 2-4 record, 446 ERA, but ever since he had just had a... Couple really, really bad starts with the Kansas City Royals team. He's looked much better now. The five runs of five innings that he gave up against the Baltimore Orioles, that's not necessarily great. But in the three starts previous, he wound up giving up a combined two earned runs over the course of 18 innings, and two of those starts involved facing off against the Boston Red Sox and the New York Mets. So that's obviously a very good sign. From meanwhile, with Mike Fires, he's given up more than three earned runs in one start since the beginning of May. 12 and three record. 346 ERA, not necessarily much of a swing and miss guy, but this is a guy that just continually gets the job done. It doesn't matter where, when, how he's pitching, he has been terrific coming to the Kansas City Royals, let's face it. They don't have a lot of balance in the lineup, to say the least. Got a couple guys at the top of the lineup that are doing a great job of being able to hit. Whit Merrifield has his batting average hovering right around at 300. you We've also got Jorge Soler, who's been doing a great job of generating the power. He's got nearly 90 RBI, .252 batting average. He has went deep 36 times so far this year. Hunter Dozier is hitting at .280. He's got over 20 home runs at Alex Gordon, hitting at .260. And then whenever you got Chesler Cuthbert in the lineup, he's been in and out of it. He's been hitting right around at 260. See, Brett Phillips and Nicky Lopez are starting to pick things up. They both have their batting average between a 230 and a 240. But then you've got Ryan O'Hearn, Lucas Duda, Bubba Starlin, Mayores Vioria. I hope I'm saying that correctly. And a couple of other guys that are hitting below a 220. I have forgot about Umberto Ortega. They had their DFA guys like... Chris Owings and Martin Maldonado and guys like that because they were just complete failures. Kansas City Royals are just not getting a whole lot of hitting in general. The bullpen got badly taxed as Brad Keller was only able to give four outs yesterday. So that is obviously going to be a big issue for the Kansas City Royals. And then you take a look at the Oakland A's. This is a team that has been mashing lefties. They're in the top seven in the big leagues with regards batting average against lefties. I guess righties, they haven't been so successful, but you take a look at this Oakland A's lineup. You've got a lot of balance in it. Got a whole bunch of guys are in between, I would say, a 248 and a 263. Steven Piscotti, Robbie Grossman, Matt Chapman, Matt Olson and Jeff Feigley, all fall in that neighborhood. With the mats you're getting a whole lot of home runs there. Matt Chapman has 29 home runs, and then you've got Matt Olson, who's got right around 25-26. He's been getting a home run every 14 or so at bats. Marcus Simeon went deep yesterday. 275 batting average for him. 23 home runs. Mark Canna's really been on a tear as well. This is a guy that's picking it up with his batting average out at 280. He's got 22 long balls. You do need to get a little bit more out of Chris Davis and Jerickson Profire. Both of these guys hitting a 220 or lower and Chris Herman falls in that neighborhood as well, but you also saw yesterday they brought up a young guy in Seth Brown that was able to do a very good job in the lineup, and this is an Oakland A's team that the bullpen's been a little bit shaky, but all in all, they have been very solid as a bunch, and I think that Mike Frier's going to be able to go six plus innings once again, give another terrific start. I don't think that Mike Montgomery is going to get totally destroyed, but I think the A's are going to be able to win this game handily, so going to be looking at the A's on the run line and this little under. The juice is all over the place on this under. Probably going to lock in that even juice nine and a half but I'm going to wait and see if there's anything else that is moving. Meanwhile, with the run line that's currently at minus 110, we'd we'll like to see if this gets to even if at all possible. We move on to 921, 922 on the Bang rotation. The LA Angels are going to be playing also the Texas Rangers. Mike Miner goes for the Rangers. Meanwhile, Andrew Heaney for the Angels. Total on this game's 8. Over and under, both at minus 110. If you're looking at the Angels, that is going to be anywhere between minus 135 and minus 142. Meanwhile, your plus price on the Texas Rangers, anywhere between plus 125 and plus 132. Mike Miner has actually been very consistent for this team ever since the month of July. In the month of July, he wound up giving up three plus earned runs in every one of his starts, but he has found it once again. Meanwhile, with Andrew Heaney, you just don't know what you're going to get from this guy from game to game just because he has been so badly banged up ever since coming off the injured list. He hasn't necessarily been giving a lot of innings, but he's actually been effective in his couple starts in August coming off the injured list. He's given up a grand total of five earned runs in those starts. He did not go long in his first start against against the Boston Red Sox, not making it past fourth, but in his last two, he combined 15 innings, giving up four runs, including an eight-inning start on the road against the Rangers, in which he gave up one run and 14 strikeouts. Got to think the Texas Rangers are going to have a little bit more success there, though I will say this for the Texas Rangers. In their first 24 games in the month of August, 15 of them have won under. This is a team that is struggling a little bit with their bats, but they do have Sin Choo, Choo now back in the fold, it seems like, for good. He and Noah Mazar have been inning between a 265 and a 270, both these guys with right around 18 home runs. Mazar is currently out of the fold, but Chu has been doing a solid job for this team. You then have Elvis Andrews and Willie Calhoun hitting between a 279 and a 289, and then Danny Santana has really stepped up for this team, hitting just below 300, 22 home runs. You do have some guys that, well, they need to be picking it up with their batting average, as Logan Forsyth, Jose Trevino, Jeff Mathis, Ruhnad Odor. Tim Fedorowicz and Ronald Guzman, all guys hitting a 230 or lower. But I will say this for one Rudador, he's got 21 home runs. His RBI count currently at a 67, so he's been solid there. You're also getting something out of Nick Solak. He's hitting above a 300. He's seen a very small amount of at bats, but that's been good. And for the Texas Rangers, bullpen seems to be a little bit better recently. And for the LA Angels, who this bullpen has been bad recently, we saw it on display in that series against the Houston Astros. It is the absolute opposite of nails. I will say this for the Texas Rangers. Road record, atrocious, 26-41. The LA Angels at home, 33-31. and 31. On the road, they're nine games below low 500, but the Texas Rangers on the run line as an underdog, 57-35. and 35. I think that they're going to be able to keep this one close, and with Mike Miner in very good recent form, not giving up a lot of home runs, right around 1.2 home runs per nine innings. Walks are a little bit high, right around three per nine, but I think he's going to rebound from giving up six runs in his last start against the Angels as his first three in the month of August. Before then, he gave up a combined 300 runs over the course of 22 innings, and I think that this is a spot where the Texas Rangers are able to bounce back and knock off the LA Angels, so for that reason going to be riding with the plus price of the Rangers and the total over. With regards to this over, the total started out at 8.5 Dipped very quickly to 8, so I'm looking to see if it dips a little bit more. Meanwhile, a whole lot of money has been coming in on the Angels. I think it's a little bit of recency bias, so in Wayne see mo- mode there to try to get a little bit of a better price. 923, 924 on the bank rotation. The Seattle Mariners are going to be playing us the New York Yankees. Masahiro Tanaka goes for the Yankees. Yusei Kikuchi for the Seattle Mariners. Your total on this game is 9.5. The juice on this one is all over the place. Your over is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between even at minus 115. If you're looking at the Yankees, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 205 and minus 185. Meanwhile, the plus price on the Seattle Mariners anywhere between plus 170 and plus 180. This is the spot where I've got to be looking at the New York Yankees. Masiur Tanaka has been tanaka around. The team is 12-2 in his last 14 starts and in those last 14 starts Masiur Tanaka has an ERA right in the neighborhood of 6. Now I will say a lot of those came from him giving up 12 runs over the course of about 3 innings against the Boston Red Sox, but all in all this is a guy that is giving up a lot of home runs right around 1.6 per 9 innings, but you say Kikuchi, he's given up more than 2 home runs per 9 innings, and I will say this for Mr. Kikuchi, he is coming off throwing a gem against the Toronto Blue Jays. He wound up throwing a complete game, shut out 8 strikeouts in the process, but the 3 starts before then in the month of August, he wound up giving up a grand total of 12 runs. He went a combined 12 and a third innings in those starts, so... Are we going to see the good Yusei Kikuchi? Are we going to see the bad Yusei Kikuchi? I think the bad because he hasn't really put together two good starts back-to-back all year long. And with the New York Yankees, this is a team that is playing over 70% of their road games to the over. And Yusei Kikuchi has been one of the best over pitchers out there in the big leagues. Among qualifying pitchers, over 70% of his starts have went over. And this is a Yankees team that... Let's face it, they've got a lot of guys that are doing a great job of getting on base, including DJ LeMayu and Gio Urshela. These two guys have a combined 40 home runs. Both guys are hitting above a 330. You have Aaron Judge all of a sudden getting hot. He and Brett Gardner have between 16 and 17 home runs. Your Judge is now hitting a 270. DDA Gregorius is starting to pick things up as well. His batting average just below 270. Austin Romine hitting a 270. you got Gary Sanchez hitting just a 233, but he's got 29 home runs. Gleyber Torres, 287 average, 32 home runs. The list goes on and on. Meanwhile, the Seattle Mariners, you do have some guys that have stepped up for this team. Omar Devias, Thomas Murphy, Tim Lopez, and... Austin Nola are all in between a 285 and a 300. In the case of Murphy and Navias, they have a combined 35 home runs at the catcher spot. Daniel Vogelback has been missing the past few days. He is hitting a 225 for the year with 28 home runs. On base percentage, though, hovering right around a 330. Do have some guys that, man, they need to really pick it up with their batting average, though. So Dylan Moore, Jake Fraley, Keon Broxton, Ryan Court, Mac Williamson, all guys are in a 220 or lower. I will say this, so Kyle Seager, after just a Brutal start for the year. He and J.P. Crawford are both now hitting above a two fifty. And for Seager, he's got like 10 home runs over the last 20 games. He has been on absolute fire. And the Seattle Mariners bullpen, all in all, has looked much better recently. They are still missing guys like Domingo Santana. And as I mentioned before... Daniel Vogelback in the lineup, so I do think that they're going to be hindered a little bit there with the New York Yankees. Even if Bossier Tanaka gets to knock it around, you're able to back him up with guys like Adam Bonavino, Tommy Kamley, Aroldis Chapman, and Zach Britton, and I think that the Yankees should be able to win a little bit of a slugfest. So for that reason, we are going to be riding with the Yankees on the run line and this total over. I'm going to be locking in the over 9.5 at Favorable Juice. Meanwhile, run line price on the Yankees currently at minus 120. would like to see if this gets down a little bit more before firing. 925, 926 on the main rotation. The Washington Nationals but you also see Baltimore Orioles. Aaron Brooks has decided to step away from the New Orleans Saints and join the Baltimore Orioles as a pitcher. Meanwhile, Patrick Corbin goes for the Washington Nationals. Total on this game is 9.5. The over is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 105. Another weird one as the under. Also between minus 105 and minus 115. If you're looking to lay it with the Nationals, this isn't a weird one as you're laying anywhere between minus 310 and minus 350. Meanwhile, if you're so daring to take a shot with the Baltimore Orioles, anywhere between plus 260 and plus 285, Typically, I love being able to back underdogs, but this seems like a dog with absolute no bark as Patrick Corbin over his last eight starts at home. ERA south of one. He has been absolutely tremendous this year at being able to limit the hard contact, giving up a little bit over one home run per nine innings overall. At home, it's even better. He's also been giving up a couple walks. I will say that, giving up a little bit over three walks per nine innings, but whip of a 1-1-5. One, one, Meanwhile, with Aaron Brooks, 3-7 and seven record, 621 ERA. He's given up more than two home runs per nine innings. Command is actually there. He's given up right around 2.5 walks per nine innings, and he did have a good start against Kansas City Royals his last time out, but the previous six starts before then, he had given up three earned runs or more in five of them, and at least five earned runs in four out of those six, and I do feel like this is going to be a good old classic shelling right here. It's for the Washington Nationals. You've got Anthony Rendon and Juan Soto firing all cylinders. Both these guys have... 29 home runs and an on-base percentage hovering right around 400. Victor Robles has been doing a decent job with his batting average. He, Gerardo Parra, Matt Adams, all guys hitting between a .240 and a .250. Brian Dozier seen a dip in his average to a .230, but you've got Azurba Cabrera, who ever since joined the team has been hitting at .341 for the year. He's hitting more around a .240, but he's been a little bit of a nice find. Adam Eaton got the day off on Sunday for the Washington Nationals, but he and Trey Turner at the top lineup, hitting between a .290 and a .300 with some good wheels. Howie Kendrick has been Getting reacclimated into the lineup. He's hitting a 330. When he's right, he's got some power as well. Then you take a look at the Baltimore Royals. You do have a couple guys that are doing a good job for this scene Trey Boom Boom Mancini and Renato Nunez, both at between 28 and 29 home runs. Both these guys combined for 150 RBI. And you got Nunez who's hitting a 251 and Trey Boom Boom Mancini a 275. Hanser Alberto has been hitting above 400 against lefties and all off for the year. He's hitting a 314 overall. Anthony Santander and Jonathan BR both hitting between a 270 and a 280 Uh, then you got some guys that well they need to be picking it up as you've got Chris Davis Stevie Wilkerson, Richie Martin, Jace Peterson, and Chance Sisko, all hitting a 225 or lower. I will say, for DJ Stewart, he's now hitting a 263. He has been helping himself out, but Peter Severino, ever since coming off the injured list, has been a hot mess. This is a guy that was at one point this year hitting right around a 280. Now a 247 or Ruiz is hitting around to 240 as well. And with this Baltimore Orioles bullpen, it is absolutely grody. You've got two of the bottom four ERAs out there in the big leagues with regards to the bullpen, so I do think that there are going to be some runs scored by the Baltimore Orioles if Patrick Corbin cannot pitch a complete game, which I think will be the case here, but I think the Nationals are just going to hit the Baltimore Orioles even harder, so for that reason we're going to be taking this total over, and we're looking at the Nationals on the run line. Nationals run line was minus 150. Typically I don't go this shocky, but Patrick Corbin been dominated at home, and the Baltimore Orioles are the Baltimore Orioles, so I've already locked that in. We move on to the final two games on the board, which are both off the board. 920 928 on the bang rotation. The Atlanta Braves hit the road and go north of the border to face off against the Toronto Blue Jays. Mike Soroka goes for the Atlanta Braves for the Toronto Blue Jays. It is our good friend to be determined, which is why this game is presently off the board. I have no earthly idea who is going to be pitching for the Toronto Blue Jays. I have scoured the Twitterverse, and I've got absolutely nothing for you. But I can tell you this: with the Toronto Blue Jays in their weekend series against the Seattle Mariners, they had two guys in the lineup that had a batting average above a 240. That would be Vlad Guerrero junior who He's been absolutely tremendous, 278 batting average. He's starting to get some power. At Bo Bobaschett, who's hitting a .351, he's getting a home run every 17 or so. At, getting a home run every 12 or so at bats, he's been tremendous. Do need to get some more batting average out of a lot of these other guys, though, as in the starting lineup on Sunday, you had Kevon Biggio, Rowdy Telez, Derek Fisher, Teoscar Hernandez, Red and Drury, and Reese McGuire all hitting below a 225. Randall Gritchick has been doing his job. 23 home runs, 236 batting average. Justin Spoke has been doing a good job of going deep along with Teoscar Hernandez. These guys have 19 home runs apiece, but they just need to get more batting average in general, and this is a Toronto Blue Jays team that's in the bottom five of the big leagues with regards to batting average when they are at home. Meanwhile, with the Atlanta Braves, you're getting a whole lot of production at the top lineup. They were held to just one run in Colorado at Coors Field, but this is a team that actually prefers to not have a day off, so I actually argue that this is actually a good thing for them as Ronald Cooney Jr., Ozzy Albies, and Freddie Freeman all in between a 290, all in between a 285 and a 300 at the top of the lineup. For Freddie Freeman, over 100 RBI. He has went deep 35 times so far this year. Acuna Jr., 36 home runs. He's got over 20 stolen bases. You've got Josh Johnson, Dan Zvi Swanson, Matt Joyce, and Charlie Culverson, all hitting between a 262 and a 275. In the case of Donaldson, he's won deep 32 times. James v. Swanson just came off the injured list. That is a big shot in the arm for this team. Francisco Cervelli's been giving this team a little bit of something at the catcher spot. He was a hot mess with the Pittsburgh Pirates, but he seems to be finding something. But it's he, Billy Hamilton, Trey Flowers... A Denny Hechevaria and Rafael Ortega that are hitting a two hundred thirty three or lower for this bunch, so they've got a couple famine bats there. But all in all, I do like the way that the Atlanta Braves have been swinging the bats with the Toronto Blue Jays. Yeah. Don't know who they're going to be starting in this spot. Probably going to be Wilmer Fott as an opener, and then some bulk guy you might see, someone like Zach ungodly And If that were the case, I'd be looking at the over in the Atlanta Braves' run line. Meanwhile, with Mike Soroka, this is a guy that's been magic all year long. He's given up a half a home run per nine innings, in 2 record, 241 ERA. He had a little bit of trial and tribulation towards the end of June into early July, but this is a man that has allowed... Three earned runs or fewer in all but one of his starts. It, ever since the All-Star break, he's been doing a tremendous job there. I think he's going to keep rolling. So I do like the Atlanta Braves in this spot. You do have to be mindful that the bullpen is not necessarily the best, but seems to be working itself out as well. So early leans are to the Braves in some form of capacity and the over, but as always, check back in the morning on my Twitter feed, at juniorers One. And then the final game on the betting board, 929-930. You've got the Boston Red Sox hitting the road face off against the Colorado Rockies. This was supposed to be Herman Marquez making a home start for For the Rockies, he has now been placed on the 10-day injured list, so for that reason, we don't know who's going to be trotting out there. Meanwhile, Rick Burcello on the bump for the Boston Red Sox. I will say this for Rick Burcello. He has not been terrific this year. He's got a 5'5 ERA, 1.6 home runs per 9 innings. It's not necessarily been going well, but... In his most recent couple starts, he's done a better job. In five of his last six, he's given up three earned runs or fewer. The team in that stretch has been doing solid. And in his last nine starts, the team is 6-3. and three. With the Boston Red Sox, we also know that this is a team that does a much better job on the road than at home. At home, they're exactly 500. On the road, 36-28. and 28. The Colorado Rockies at home have actually been pretty good themselves. 33-29 and 29 for the year on the road. They are a hot mess. But the Rockies, as a favorite on the run line, 22-34. Boston, actually pretty solid as a underdog. And with the Colorado Rockies, they generate the most runs per game at home, and they also have the highest ERA of any team when they are at home as well. But you have noticed that in the last 13 games at Coors Field, only one game has went over the closing total. But with the Colorado Rockies, you do have quite a few guys that are doing a great job of being able to supply some power. Nolan Arenado, Trevor Story, and Charlie Blackman at the top of the lineup are all sensational. All these guys are in between a two ninety five and a 320, and all these guys have at least 27 home runs. I believe that Arenado now has 33. Ryan McMahon was able to hit the walk-off home run yesterday. He, Nunez at the catcher spot, and Ryan McMahon are all guys are in between a 267 and a 255. You do still have Tony Walters at the catcher spot as well. He's hitting nearly a... 280. You gotta like the fact that Daniel Murphy has been hitting above a 280 all year long as well. He's been very solid. And with the Colorado Rockies, this is just a bullpen that has been absolutely wretched ever since the All-Star break. Worst bullpen ERA in the big league since then. Meanwhile, the Boston Red Sox best bullpen ERA since August. They have actually been nails in the month of August. They've gotten a whole lot of good innings out of them. And with the Boston Red Sox, this is a team that is in the top five with regards to runs per game scored on the road. This despite the fact that they were held a little bit silent in that last. Game against the San Diego Padres on Sunday, but you saw have Mookie Betts, Christian Vasquez, and Andrew Benintendi hitting between a 282 and a 285. Xander Bogarts, Rafael Devers, J.D. Martinez in the middle of that lineup has been sensational. And all three of these guys, between 27 and 31 home runs, Scott Travis when you need him. He's hitting right around a 260. You've even got guys like Marco Hernandez and Brock Holt hitting above a 320. Jackie Bradley Jr. needs to pick it up a little bit, but all in all, a very fearsome lineup. I have no earthly idea who the Colorado Rockies are going to be trotting out there for a starter. But my early lean on this game is the Boston Red Sox in some way, shape, or form. I've seen the total before at 13.5. I feel like with... Coors Field under hitting at nearly a 70% clip over the past three years. This is going to be another game that goes under, so going to be probably looking at an under, and the Boston Red Sox in some way, shape, or form, but not going to know for sure until we see a pitcher and a line, so as always, check back in the morning on my Twitter feed, at GNR one for set plays there. and That's also where you can ask a question if you have it for this fine podcast. It's always tweeted it into the timeline and not my DMs, and I'd like to thank our good buddy Jared Willis of Sporting News for joining me in the second segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher, along with TuneIn. And let make today is a successful, profitable, and fun one. I'll talk to you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.